Amen. Thank you so much, choir. What an incredible piece of worship for us to celebrate and just to rejoice in this morning. Um, I want to take a moment before we jump into our uh, text today, uh, just to address an issue that our nation is addressing. Uh, as you're very well aware, justice has been on display uh, this week. Uh, some have referred to the Thursday and Friday uh, hearings of our Judiciary uh, Committee in regard to our next Supreme Court Justice. Uh, many have labeled it must-see TV, a combination of must-see TV and reality uh, TV. For me personally, it is perhaps one of the darkest, most cynical moments I've ever witnessed in American politics. Um, our country is in a mess. So let, let me just say, politics can be very dirty at times. And when decisions like what's maybe going to take place this week or early next week are complete, um, whether Justice Kavanaugh is elected to the Supreme Court or not, here's what you're going to have. Half of this country is going to be angry and half of this country is going to be happy. That's what you're going to have. But I, I want to take a moment and um, just speak to maybe how we as Christians should think and respond to these things. So I just want to mention four things just quickly before we jump into our text. Anytime accusations are made, especially sexual accusations, we need to take those seriously. We as a church cannot afford to be like other denominations who have turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to sexual accusation and look at the mess they are in now. We need to take them seriously, but we do not need to pass judgment. Um, you know, going on social media and spewing as soon as an accusation is made is neither helpful, uh, it's always harmful, most of the time it's hurtful, uh, when we have very little information. So we should not rush to judgment, but we should take them seriously. Number two, we should pray fervently for both the accused and the accuser. What should you be doing today? You ought to be praying for Dr. Ford and what had happened to her, the traumatic event that she experienced 36 years ago. You ought to be praying for her. You ought to be praying for Judge Kavanaugh, whose life and family and reputation and future and everything that's combined therein is on the line. We ought to be praying for both the accused and the accuser. And number three, we should remember as Christians, and I, I want to just, if I might even direct this to teenagers and to college students, because most of us are, you know, let me just direct this at teenagers and college students. If you're a Christ follower today, if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, 
rejoice in Romans 8.1. Right? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There is no eternal condemnation, but there are earthly consequences to everything that you do. So teenagers, college students, think about this the next time you post something on social media. Think about where you go. Think about what you do. Think about what you say. Think about how you act. Because there are consequences to what we do. Number four, and this is the last one. These are all free, by the way. There's no cost involved. Um, number four, I do believe as Christians we ought to care about, and when we can, we should be involved in public life. So I've had several individuals in our church that have approached me. Pastor, I'm thinking about this. You know, what do you think? Whether it's uh, city council, whether it's a school board, whether it's another kind of role in politics. And I always say, I think that we should be involved and we should um, care about public life. But we should always remember. Our mission is the gospel. Our call by Jesus Christ is to go into all the world and make disciples. Political parties, political systems are going to fade away. They are earthly. They are not eternal. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glorious gospel of the death and resurrection of our King Jesus is an eternal grace. It's an eternal gospel. When we stand before God, the one who presents us to the throne, blameless and with great joy, Jude says, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so we want to care about and be involved in public life. Always pray, but always remember, our mission is the gospel. And that's what we should be involved in as a church. So, with that said, let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to be reminded that there will always be times of chaos in this land. But around the throne of God, the angels declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father, may the thought of your holiness invade our thinking. May the thought of your holiness direct our actions. And Father, may the thought of your holiness always lead us to be quick to confess our sins and our need of Jesus Christ. 
Oh, Father, our nation needs your holiness to be on display. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that it would not begin in the Supreme Court or the United States Senate, but it would begin right here in the house of God. So speak into our lives. May we remember our call to be salt and light. May we never lose sight of the gospel. May we care about every man, woman, boy, and girl around the world. May we be quick to respond to injustices. And may we never stop giving people Jesus as the help and hope of their life. Speak into our lives today as we study the Word of God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our country is not the only land that is in turmoil and filled with pain. In fact, we can go back in our minds to about 1805 B.C. Because in 1805 B.C., that's about the time of the year, it's about the time, excuse me, that Joseph died. Right, so when we leave the book of Exodus or the book of Genesis and we come into the book of Exodus, right, when we come to chapter 1 and verse 8, we find that Joseph is dead and now there is a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph of the things that he had done. Right, so there's now a new king in Egypt who is not aware that Egypt is alive and well because of a foreigner by the name of Joseph who sought the face of God. So this new Pharaoh is nervous about so many foreign people living in his land. And he was afraid that they were going to overtake their country. And so what did he do? He enslaved them. And after he enslaved them, he tried to minimize their future influence by striving to have all the male babies killed. In fact, one Hebrew woman hid her son for three months. And then after hiding him for three months, she put him in a basket and placed him in the Nile River and entrusted his life to God. He was found by the daughter of Pharaoh, knew he was Hebrew, sent him and had him nursed by a Hebrew woman whom she did not know was the actual baby's mother. Then she had him brought into her home. She took him into her home and she gave him the name Moses. The name Moses literally means to draw out. So she named him Moses because she drew him out of the Nile. But isn't the great providence of God amazing? Because God is going to use this one to draw his people out of slavery and out of bondage. So Moses grows up. 
As he becomes an adult, he sees the burdens of the Hebrews. In fact, one day he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he kills the Egyptian. As a result, he has to flee to Midian as a fugitive in fear for his life. And then the text that was read for us earlier, then during those many days the king of Egypt died. Now by the way, this is very important because what that means is that Moses can now return to Egypt as a prophet and not as a fugitive. He's been on the run. He's been in fear of his life. But now that he's dead, he can go back in as a prophet of God. So the text says, The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out to God for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And then make sure you note these words. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So let me just quickly, because I'm certain that clock on the wall is not correct. I know I've got more than 12 minutes. Um, God heard their cry. God saw their oppression. God took notice. All right, that's what the text is teaching us. God heard, God saw, God knew. And because God knows, God acts. He remembers his covenant with Abraham. Right? He remembers his unbreakable promise of salvation. By the way, if you're in Christ Jesus today, aren't you thankful you belong to an eternal covenant? This is the first time the word covenant appears in the book of Exodus. It has appeared 25 times in the book of Genesis, but it's the first time that's in Exodus. One of the best definitions that you can read uh, about the term covenant is actually in the Jesus Storybook Bible that I encourage you to get, especially if you're parents of young kids or you still have children in your home. You need this Bible in your home, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It gives a definition of a covenant this way. It is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's a great definition of covenant. Right, And so the time is right for God to hear, the time is right for God to see, for God to take notice, and the time is right for God to act. Because a just God always acts justly. By the way, how do we understand justice? What should it look like for us? Same thing that it looked like in Scripture. Justice is love going public. It's taking public right, needs of people always for the purpose of the gospel, right? For example, when we go to Honduras and we take, I don't know, $15,000, $20,000 worth of medicines, we're not just going to give people medicine because if we did, we'd be no different than any other social agency in the world. No, our goal is to take them the gospel. Our For the City ministry that meets in our basement at Eagle Point, it's not just about giving someone food or paying a utility bill. Do you know that I think, is it eight or nine, honey? Eight, eight people have come to faith in Jesus Christ because of For the City. Aren't you thankful for that? We're not just paying a bill and feeding a meal. We are giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great place for you to be plugged in. So God acts through a man he calls Moses. Moses is still to this day held in high esteem among Jews. Let me, as quickly as I can, give you just a few reasons why. Number one, Moses spoke with God mouth to mouth. 
Right? You can look in Exodus 3 and 4. After 430 years of slavery, Moses is shepherding Jethro's flock near Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai when the angel of the Lord appears to him in a burning bush. The messenger spoke not simply for God. The messenger spoke as God. Right? Here's a theophany. Here's an appearance. Here's a showing of God. Moses knew he was seeing something mysterious, a bush that burned but is not consumed. And then God calls him by name, tells him to take off his shoes. and says, I've got a job for you, Moses. Moses felt un- unable, unprepared, unqualified, right? just like you and I. Why would God choose a murderer? Moses was deeply flawed. I'm thankful that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. Um, number two, Moses led Israel out of Egypt. So after 40 years, Moses leaves um, going back to Egypt. Aaron and Moses arrive, gather all the elders, tell them God's plan. They confront Pharaoh. Pharaoh refuses to let him go. And then you can read um, about the ten plagues in Exodus chapter 7 through 11. God institutes for them the very first Passover. They take a lamb, they slay it, they drain out the blood, they put the blood on the doorposts and on the lentils, right? They roast the lamb and eat it all dressed and ready for travel. Why? Because that night the power of God was on display and they would remember that night still to this day. Number three, Moses gave Israel the law. Right, so in Exodus 19, they come to Mount Sinai, and it, it's really a picture of God coming to live among His people. God intending for His presence to be a permanent part of their lives. Um, number four, Moses saw the glory of God. The Bible tells us in Exodus 34, when he came down from Mount Sinai, he did not know that the skin of his face had shone because he was talking with God. It is even said of Stephen in Acts chapter 6, he had the face of an angel. Number five, Moses penned the scriptures that governed their lives. Moses not only gave the Ten Commandments, but he penned the first five books of the Bible, which lay out all the Levitical laws, all the laws that governed everything they did. These laws became the most important thing in their lives. So Moses stood far above any other man to the Jews. He lived a life of miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. The very hand of God preserved his life as a baby. And the very hand of God dug his grave when he died. Now I know what you're expecting from me at this point because this is a greater series. You're expecting me to give you some you know, clever phrase, something like this, something like God pitched his tent among them and God has pitched his tent among us in Jesus when Jesus took on flesh. Or maybe you're expecting something like this, God spared Israel from physical death by the blood of a lamb and God spares us from spiritual death by the blood of the lamb of God. I know that's what you're expecting uh, from me, but I'm not going to do that today. Well, maybe I just did, but... um, I want to show you just real quickly in our few moments together um, why the greatness of Jesus impacts your life journey right now, this very moment today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go quickly to Hebrews chapter, um, chapter 3. 
Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's getting near the end of the Bible. You just quickly thumb, you'll, you'll find it. Um, Hebrews chapter 3. And In fact, it, if you don't have time to turn, we'll look on the screen. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Notice that the writer of Hebrews calls his brothers and sisters holy. And when I hear God say that about me, I'm, I'm tempted to say, are, are you talking to me? Uh, holy? Right? I, I, I don't always feel holy, so you must be talking about somebody else. Dear ones, aren't you thankful that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God sees you as holy whether you see yourself that way or not? That's the gospel. You share in a heavenly calling. You need to stop and realize who you are in Christ Jesus today. God has made you holy. You are fellow heirs. You are related to Jesus. You have a heavenly calling. Let that be what defines you today. Let that sink deep into your mind. It goes on and says, consider Jesus. That word consider is a compound word. It means to fix your mind on something. It means to fix your thoughts. It means dwell, meditate, focus. And that's what we need to do today. We need to consider Jesus. Some of you are with us today. You you may need to consider whether or not you are in Jesus Christ. That you've dedicated your life to Him. That you've turned from sin and placed your faith in Christ. And listen, if you haven't, oh, young or old, dear ones, hear me. Jesus Christ is the greatest need of your life. Trust Him. The writer of Hebrews said this about Jesus in the previous chapter. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus died in your place so that you can have eternal life. If you will trust him, he is all you need. Let's jump back into Hebrews just real quick. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that will be spoken later. Jesus is God's apostle to us. Jesus is God's representative to us. He is the high priest of our confession. He is our mediator. He is the go-between that you need in order to have communion with God. The writer of Hebrews is teaching us that Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. He is the hope of our confession. He is the builder of the family of God. And when you see those words, builder and house, don't think about a structure. Don't think about a building. Think about people. Jesus is the builder of the family of God. Now, Moses was a great prophet. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us, Moses was faithful to minister to the family of God. But Jesus Christ created the family of God. We need to consider that today. 
The writer of Hebrews is telling us, remember who you are. You are holy. And you share in a heavenly calling. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Consider Jesus. And finally, hold fast to your hope. Look as we close at verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. Some people think this means that you're saved if you hang on till the end. In other words, they see this as, you know, God can save you, but he can't keep you saved. And you've got to keep yourself saved. And if you um, pass away and you find yourself in heaven, then you can go, boy, I'm glad I made it. Oh, dear ones, that is not what this text means. You cannot save yourself, and you cannot keep yourself saved. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Persevere. And you know why this is so important? Because there are times when life can be so very hard. And when it gets hard, what do you do? When you've got a child that's sick, What do you do? When you've lost a job, what do you do? When you're having family problems, what do you do? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said, reality looked at long enough is unbearable. If all you do is focus on the way things are here on the earth for long enough, it will depress you. You have to constantly look at where your confidence is, where your hope is. Jonathan Edwards meditated on heaven for 20 minutes every morning when he got up. And when he was asked why, He said, well, it's not so I can escape reality. It's just so I can remember where my hope is. Consider Jesus. 